Beyond Radley. Business, careers, and more. Virtual talks by experts from our community. Good afternoon and warm welcome to all members of the Radley community and to our school partners who have joined us today on Zoom. My name is Caroline Monaghan and I'm responsible for our Beyond Radley Career Speaker Programme, a series of talks designed to give you a live insight into the world of work. Today, the focus of our panel discussion is the world of finance. With so many different careers you can move into, it can be a little daunting to work out where to start. To help you navigate this complicated arena, we've lined up our panel of four financial professionals from the Radley community to tell you about how their careers developed and what they've learned along the way. I'm also pleased to have a co-host working alongside me today, Hilton Harvey, 6-1, who co-founded the Investment Society at Bradley, and he's going to introduce our speakers and ask some of the questions. So without further ado, I'd like to hand you over to Hilton, who will introduce our speakers. Thank you. I am pleased to be able to introduce our very experienced panel of experts, which includes Anthony Cassidy, a hedge fund expert who uh, now trains graduates who have joined investment banks. Stephen Bamford, who is dialing in from San Francisco and specializes in the area of private equity. Will Maiden, our assets management expert, and Nick Wolford, our corporate development expert. Welcome gentlemen, it's great to have you here today. I'm going to kick off by asking you each in turn to tell us about your career path to date and a little bit of what it's like in your financial area. Starting with you, Anthony. Thanks, Hilton. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, so how did I get through uh, my financial journey? I, I did a finance degree and during that degree, I had the opportunity to take a year out and, and worked uh, in equity research. So I looked at companies and we were analyzing companies. So it was a little bit of accounting um, and a little bit of balance sheet work. Um, so I did the year out during my university, came back to university. Uh, I was in London at Cass Business School. And, um, and then after that, worked for Barclays on a trading floor. Um, and then, you know, I know Stephen is, is in San Francisco. Uh, now, after the trading floor, I went to another bank called UBS, worked on another trading floor. Uh, and then a client of mine asked, would I like to go and work in San Francisco with them? So that wasn't a very long conversation. So I ended up in San Francisco where we looked after a fund um, that had European investments in it. So I got up very early in the morning uh, and finished work at about noon. Um, again, that might be something that Stephen can, uh, uh, has, has experienced. Uh, San Francisco for four or five years, back to the UK where I did a master's degree and then finally to a, uh, a hedge fund, the second hedge fund I've been working for in London, where I headed up the uh, trading desk for a hedge fund, which was a great, great experience, buying and selling equities, buying and selling bonds, buying and selling uh, currencies, commodities, all sorts of things. So um, um, I ended that just after the financial crisis in about 2011. And then I began training people who were looking to go into finance so this would be interns, um, you know, midway through their university degree and then graduates. So I get involved in all a lot of the big banks graduate programs. So we see 100, 200 people at the moment in virtual rooms, of course, uh, coming in and we give them a two or three week grounding in uh, finance and you know, really give them a chance to to be able to hit the desk uh, running. So yeah, you know, I've had a lovely time in a number of different locations, a number of different roles, a number of different firms. Um, and I guess Hilton, that would be it for now. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, now over to you, Stephen. 
Oops. Just just figuring out Zoom after a year of uh, of, of lockdown because of COVID. But nice to be reconnected with everybody at the Radley community. And thank you for for uh, hosting this. So um, you know, I, I think I was I was saying to the, the 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 group of panelists a minute ago. I think I was one of the first people to leave Radley and go to uh, university in the U.S. Um, and uh, through that experience, ended up um, doing an internship at Goldman uh, in my in my sort of penultimate. Uh, penultimate year at at, um, at college, and got involved in a group called the Alternative Investments Group. Um, at, at the time, I had actually no idea um, what an alternative investment was. I remember, I remember one of my interview questions was actually, "What's what's more liquid, public equity or private equity?" And being totally stumped. Um, for for those that don't know, pub, public equity is definitely more liquid than than private equity. Um, but uh, was given a job after that full time uh, at, at Goldman. So I joined in 2001, actually in London, um, just after the last uh, tech bubble. And through a sort of series of eventualities, uh, my, my boss um, left shortly after I joined. And so I was given an opportunity to build out our alternative investments uh, sort of platform uh, in Europe. And what do I mean by that? That the business I was uh, involved with was really responsible for structuring and syndicating, distributing, selling um, private equity funds, hedge funds, real estate funds, special situations, credit um, opportunities, Goldman Sachs balance sheet deals, uh, predominantly to very, very wealthy high net worth investors in Europe and, and Asia. So I uh, ran, ran that business uh, for the better part of eight or nine years, uh, moved with Goldman to Hong Kong, and then uh, got hired by TPG to build out our investor network uh, in Asia. Um, at, at the time, TPG had some challenges uh, with its business in Asia. So, so my role morphed from sort of fundraising and uh, developing relationships with investors to also restructuring, hiring, rebuilding uh, our Asia investment business. Um, we acquired a secondary platform uh, in, uh, in Asia. And so on the back of all that, was asked to move to San Francisco, uh, so I moved to San Francisco now, I think, uh, uh, two, two, or three, two or three years ago, um, and have been responsible for you know, running and managing, building out TPG's uh, fundraising um, sort of capabilities uh, and, and people, our, our team uh, globally. And then uh, on, on the side, when I have some spare time, I also advise um, a company that's trying to change the sort of delivery systems for um, CRISPR, the, the gene editing technology, and then also for a small venture fund called Jazz that um, invests into early stage technologies around the human cognitive and musculoskeletal um, uh, space. So that's that's kind of how I got to, that's kind of how I got to where, where I, um, uh, you know, got to sort of a, a little bit of a winding path that's taken me from, you know, London to Hong Kong to San Francisco. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Uh, now over to you, Will. Thank you, Hilton, and um, thank you, everyone, for uh, sparing your time to dial in. Um, I am sitting not far down the road. Uh, unlike Stephen, I'm in our office in Oxford. Um, I was at Radley in 1986 to 1991, so um, 47 years old. Um, I, like one of the other... Um, people on this uh, panel, Nick Wolford, went to Newcastle University where I read economics. And maybe I could give you one piece of advice. The mistake I made is I never took a proper look at what the content of the de degree was before I signed up to it, which was an incredibly dry course. And one of the things, um, having been pretty bone idle as a result at university, I worked out that I wasn't going to get a bit of particularly good degree. So the one thing I made damn sure of was that I had a job unconditional offer before my degree result came in and my first proper job having done work experience as a teenager at Casanova Capital in London was to work for a, a partnership based in the northeast of England uh, called Wise Speak which was a private wealth management firm uh, similar to, uh, to to the structure of Casanova. Um, I spent about 10 years there um, and got a hell of a good grounding and one of the things, many things that I learned um, whilst I worked there was how damn difficult it is uh, to run money uh, very successfully. 
and the data draws this out of the of the asset managers that exist um, in this world. Only about ten percent over the long term, actually, somewhere between five and ten percent, actually managed managed to outperform the index, uh, which would su- suggest that ninety percent of the marketplace is not very good value for money. Um, that was one of the many reasons why I decided to stop doing what I was doing. And I knew chap called Will Campion who's actually just sitting across the desk from me, who was the founder of Campion Capital. And maybe known to some of you as he's had a couple of boys uh, through Radley, Ben Campion, whose youngest son is currently at Radley. Um, and the premise behind Campion Capital, I mean, it, it couldn't be much further from uh, the world of why speak which ended up when i left was owned by Bruin dolphin which is a listed company in the uk with at that stage had about 1500 staff when i joined campion capital the business was about two and a half years old and i was the fourth person through the door um and rather like stephen my role and and campion capital's role is um we carry out what's called distribution for asset managers now what that means is we, we are in charge of raising capital uh, for investment funds. So that's a commonality with the role I play with Stephen, where we're very different to Stephen. Is St- Stephen operates in the private equity arena. Um, we almost exclusively operate in the public market, so um, stock markets where asset managers are investing in, in public companies, whether they be a Vodafone or a Shell in the UK or an Amazon or a, a Google in, um, in the US. So we are, um, we're capital raisers. Um, our job is twofold, really. One is to go and find funds that we want to raise capital for. Um, that's in many ways the hardest part of our job because back to the 90-10 statistic, um, we're trying to obviously try to identify the 10% that are good value for money and going to do a good job for our clients. And finally, to wrap up on the other side of the coin, our clients are not, unlike my old job, are not private individuals, no matter how wealthy they may be. Uh, they're institutions, so they're pension funds. It could be BT Pension Fund. It could be a, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund. It could be Harvard University Endowment. Um, and our client base is, is pretty global. Um, we have t- 12 staff today, two of whom sit in the US, 10 in, in the UK. That's enough from me. Thank you, Will. Uh, now, finally, over to you, Nick. Thanks, Elton. Um, I was at Radley a year after Will, or rather, I was a year behind Will, um, and therefore I've known him a long time. And peculiarly enough, I spent the first probably six or seven years of my career sitting next to the man he's now sitting opposite, Will Campion, who's just mentioned. Um, I started life in my financial career at what was then called Robert Fleming, which was a small um, UK-based and, in fact, family-owned investment bank. Um, I got into that role largely because I worked there in a number of holidays as an intern. Um, I worked on the desk that, um, that Will Campion used to run with a friend of his. Um, and ultimately, uh, that business became J.P. Morgan in the UK um, through acquisition. We traded equity derivatives um, on behalf of, of clients in the UK and, and in Europe, um, quite similar to part of Cass's early career, in fact, Anthony's early career. Um, Will then left and uh, I ended up running that desk for about a year um, before I learned one quick thing in my career, which is that if you don't want to be your boss, um, i.e. the person you're working for, you don't want their job and you don't necessarily think you're learning anything from your boss, it's probably trying, time to move on. So I went to go and do an MBA in Sydney. Um, was there for a year and a half and then I came back to the UK and started working at RBS, um, moved to Edinburgh, and worked at RBS from 2005 um, through the acquisition of Avian AMRO and the financial crisis um, that then coincided with that, um, and then worked there for uh, probably about another five or six years afterwards, working uh, in the strategy team, trying to work out effectively how to put RBS back together again. I spent a long time in the uh, investment banking business, trying to work out what it was that we'd actually got on our balance sheet as a consequence of the financial crisis and then what to do about it. I spent some time working on the strategy for Coots, which is the investment uh, the wealth management business that RBS owns. 
Um, and then ultimately, I ended up running the strategy team for the personal bank, the retail bank um, for personal and business customers. And along the way, uh, also sold or was involved in the sale of three pretty big businesses as a consequence of financial crisis. So we sold a fund management business to Aberdeen Asset Management, um, sold an enormous aviation business, which owned lots of aircraft to a Chinese bank. And we also sold uh, the commodities business that RBS used to own to a company called Sempra in the US. And then in 2016, I moved again. I moved to what was then a pretty small regional bank called Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank. Um, it had been owned by an Australian bank, but they IPO'd it. Um, and therefore, it was its own, its own animal, if you like, again in the UK. And they asked me to go and set up a strategy and corporate finance team there which I did in in middle of 2016, um, and I've been there ever since. Um, I work in, as I said, the strategy and corporate finance area, mainly strategy these days. Um, I bought, with the rest of the team, obviously, um, Virgin Money in 2018, um, which created um, the sixth biggest bank in the UK. So ironically, I was involved in a transaction which was the last big transaction in UK banking, which was ABN AMRO, which nearly broke RBS, and then was involved in the first one after the financial crisis, which was um, the Virgin Money transaction. Um, my job is effectively what I do as my job is I try and work out what the future direction of the company sh should be and advise the leadership team and the board on that. Um, the most simple way to describe my job is that I ask the annoying questions that no one really knows the answer to, and then I try and help answer them. Um, that doesn't mean that I know the answers by any means, but try and work out what the big moving parts are, which, which market should we participate in, which product line should we be in or out of, which geographies might we want to be in, um, and do that on behalf of, of the sort of various stakeholders in the business, the, the shareholders, the employees, customers, regulators, etc. Um, so that is, that's my career in a quick whistle-stop tour, Hilton. Um, back to you. Thank you, gentlemen. That was really fascinating. Just a reminder to everyone on the call, please do um, pop your questions in the chat. Uh, this is a really good chance to grill our experts. Um, and it'd be good if you could direct them towards one of our experts individually. Uh, to kick off the questions, uh, I'll ask to Anthony, um, what do you have to do to get into a finance career right now? Ooh. Um, right. I mean, I guess you know, listening to everybody else talk, I, I guess you know the, the first thing that comes across is how many different paths there there are, how many different um, journeys within finance. Finance is, is such a big word. You know, there are, there are so many different types of roles, so many different types of of institutions. You know, you've got Nick at a you know what you call it you know a, a retail type bank you've got will at an asset manager you've got steven um at a private private equity fund you know a, a, another sort of type of manager of assets um you know the people that i see coming through on the big banks graduate programs now again you do not have to start your career in finance on the Morgan Stanley Graduate Program, on the Goldman Sachs <clears throat> Graduate Program. Okay, there are many different ways that you can uh, that you that you can get in. But you know, of the people that I see, and there's a very good mix of of male and female coming through. Um, many different roles that they'll be following, but a lot of them have during their university time, they've try to get a job on a bank's spring week. So a lot of the investment banks run spring weeks. Uh, normally, you know, sometime in the Easter holiday, the Easter break when you're at university. And you can get one week of experience within, within a big bank. You know, maybe you're sitting in, in, the, in um, you're probably not going to be on the trading floor at that point because there are various regulations about who they can let in and who they can't. But you're going to be sitting with someone who will give you a little bit of guidance about what their role is within the big, the big machinery of the bank. Now, that's spring week. That's the, the, a week in the first year of your university degree. Second year of your university degree, if you can get onto a bank's intern program, and that's normally a two-month 
um, program and you might get some rotations around different desk areas. So you might be sitting in uh, commodity trading. Okay, so looking at what's happening in gold, what's happening in oil, what's happening in copper. And then you might be sitting within the bank's treasury department. And that's a little bit like what Nick's doing now, you know, wondering, wow, how is this organization? How do we just fund ourselves every day? And what are we doing with our money? And who's got our money? And when am I getting it back? So those intern programs to me are, are gold dust. Okay, because in effect, it's a two month interview process. By the time you come to want to be um, making job applications for full time graduate work, you know, they take 80% of the graduates from the spring week. So the more experience that you can get uh, before you make a, a, a sort of a graduate application, the better. And to me, Sorry to go on a little bit. You know, you can do those spring weeks. You can do those intern programs. You don't have to then go and do a career in finance. Okay. Certainly on the intern program, you will be paid a very nice salary for two months work. And at the end of that, you may decide, you know what? Uh, finance, it's just, it's just not for me. But you've got very nice name on your CV and something that you can use to market yourself. Uh, for whichever direction you want to go after that. So to me, Hilton, you know, trying to get on the train as early as you can is a big help. But always remember, you don't have to stay on the train all the way. You can get off at any point. That's brilliant, Anthony. Thank you very much. Um, I've actually got a question on the, uh, on the chat here for Stephen. Um, Stephen, what are your thoughts on a U.S. university education as a foundation for Wall Street and for life? Um, so, you know, firstly, I, I, I didn't expect to go to university in the U.S. Um, it just so happened that when I was applying to universities, my parents were living uh, on the East Coast. And so I, I made, you know, friends during the holidays who are American. And thought, you know, I may as well apply to a couple of U.S. Um, schools, and 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 then and then and then got into one. So um, felt felt I had to felt I had to go. And I, and I would say that it was a totally transformative and positive experience. I think when you when you come from a school like Radley, or at least in in my days, you know, back in the late 1990s, the thought of leaving the U.K. and going to university in the U.S. was 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 pretty atypical. It was, it was extremely atypical. Um, and a lot of people sort of questioned why I did it, but it gave me a totally different lens. It sort of gave me an American lens in, into the world. Um, it gave me a totally different sort of network, uh, sort of um, uh, peer group. Um, and a lot of those um, you know, friends that I made in college were, were applying to you know, companies that, frankly, I, I hadn't even really heard of, you know, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, um, a number of them wanted to go and be, you know, investors at hedge funds, a number of them wanted to go and be entrepreneurs, a number of them wanted to be in private equity. Um, so just learning from my peer group who were extremely aspirational um, was, was very powerful and a, and a very powerful motivator. Uh, to going to Goldman. Um, I, I also, you know, I agree with Cass. I, you know, I, I benefited from doing the summer internship program and got a kind of, got, got a job, you know, got a job, you know, from, from, from that. So I would highly recommend it. If for no other reason, whether you go into finance or not, I think having that twin lens of, you know, a, a British school, a, a top British boarding school, and then uh, doing something in, in the U.S., uh, in, in a, you know, in a, in a college in, in the U.S., just gives you a more um, expanded view of the world, um, a broader experience, and you know, it can be you know the, the sort of foundation of, of sort of really a transformative um, uh, you know college uh, co college experience and, and sort of starts into the broader world. Thank you, Stephen. Will you have your hand up? Would you like to add something to the first question or this one? Yeah, just a, a couple of quick things, just backing up what Anthony Cassidy was saying about um, internship programs. One of the things that uh, 
staggers me and, and we get a lot of people approaching us and you know we inter- obviously interview people from time to time and try and be helpful is there's an awful lot of free information mainly in in books but also in podcasts Hilton and I were just discussing the Money Maze podcast which is founded by Will Kemper which has interviewed some of the sort of leading lights of the financial world globally where you are getting free advice I mean there are some incredible books whether they be um, um, written by the likes of Howard Marks or this morning I was reading Warren Buffett's annual letter which is published for free believe it or not I mean he uh, is I, I would un- undisputedly probably the most successful investor who is um, currently alive today and you can go onto Berkshire Hathaway's website and read 35 to 40 years of his annual letters, which are some of the best education, I would argue, that you can get in the world of finance. But read and and find something that you really, really enjoy. As, as Cass said, the, 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 the financial world is incredibly broad. Um, you know, and it, what Stephen does and what Nick Wolford does are incredibly different on a day-to-day basis to what I do. And just backing up, and what Stephen said, we're lucky enough here to work with a, a few uh, big US asset managers. Um, if you ever got the opportunity to go to a uni- US university, I think that is a, I'm talking about broadening your horizons. You should take it with both hands. That's brilliant. Thanks. That's, that's me done. That's, that's really great. Thank you. Um, now, coming over to you, Nick, a question for you. Um, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a different question to what I was originally going to ask. Um, in a typical day or week, what's it like? Um, well, what sort of things do you do in your typical day or week? And in, out of interest, what sort of hours are you, are you working? I mean, how, how hard is it from an intensity point of view? I appreciate COVID changes things slightly because you're probably not having to do a long commute. But just give, give us an idea of a typical working week for you, please. Sure. Um, so a typical working week, I work probably about 7.30 in the morning till about 7 o'clock in the evening, I would say, a typical day. Um, that was a lot longer during periods when, for example, we were uh, acquiring or selling businesses. Um, typically, the, the work day expands quite alarmingly when you're doing that. Um, but that would be my normal hours. Um, I used to work uh, in a combination of Glasgow and London um, and therefore commuted to both those places. And now I don't, obviously. I'm sitting here in my office at home. I've been for a year. Um, what do I do during the day? I, I run a very small team of people, uh, a relatively senior team of people um, that uh, sort of business partner into our various different parts of our business. So they and I will be working, generally speaking, on, on projects that we have kind of homegrown, things that we think we want to do in our, uh, in our business. Um, and we will work on those together as kind of projects that we will then end up presenting to our board. Um, so, for example, um, a, few, a little while ago, not active now, because I wouldn't tell you if it was, um, we, uh, we thought about what we might want to do in terms of international expansion. Virgin Money UK is a UK-based business only. Um, and therefore, we spent some time working out, you know, where would we go to next if we wanted to expand internationally? What would be the most um, beneficial jurisdiction to enter? How might that give us a whole load of options for the future? Um, and that piece of work was, was done, um, presented to our board, uh, and then we kind of move on to the next thing, if you like. Um, so my, my day tends to be... Um, leading a team of people who are doing that work, um, contributing to it, and then ending up discussing it with our board members. That's the sort of activity that I normally get up to. And actually, uh, following on from that, um, we have a question which from Catherine. Where do you see Nick? Where do you see companies like Revolut going in the next few years? Um, well, the expansion, I mean, the, the growth of, of a whole set of what I suppose would have been called fintechs, but I think probably now I've outgrown that moniker, um, has, been, has been exceptional. Um, and Revolut, like many others, um, having started in one particular area of payments, which is where most people end up starting in financial fintech, um, are going to expand out into different 
and adjacent markets. Um, they've already obviously started to do that quite aggressively in the UK um, and, and elsewhere. And I suspect that what they will do is they will continue to grab adjacent markets as they go, and they will pull those adjacent markets into, um, into the custom proposition that they run. Um, where they and others like them um, need to be very clear, I think, is what their revenue model is as they, as they build these adjacencies. Um, it, it's quite easy, as we've seen with you know, other um, UK-based banks like Monzo, for example. They acquire a lot of customers, but they actually don't have any way of making any money out of those customers yet. So monetizing the customer franchise that you build is actually very, very difficult. And it's why there's such a sort of incumbency problem in UK banking. Um, so they need to work out how they're actually going to build a model that makes money. And that tends to mean lending money rather than just acquiring deposits from, from, uh, from customers like, like you and me. So there's a hell of a lot more growth that's to come, I've no doubt. Um, but the revenue model, I think, needs to needs to be um, sort of front of mind for all of those guys that are growing very, very quickly. Um, but they'll run out of road if they don't think quite hard about how to make money out of it in the, in the medium term. Thank you, Nick. A question for Anthony now. Uh, what skills and qualities do you think you need to survive in a finance career? Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice question, Hilton. I think, I think everyone should get a chance maybe try and answer that skills and qualities was it that you are that you're yeah that you're, that you're asking um look skills the you know again let, let, let's just talk something that's a little bit closer to you know a lot of the boys uh right now university degree doesn't really matter okay uh i i see people who've got uh physics degrees and this can be you know masters or uh or undergraduate level uh, modern history, French. Um, yes, there are some finance degrees, you know, math, math degrees. You know, again, you know, to just just to emphasize the breadth because there are so many different roles, Hilton, that people can do. Okay, you could end up on the trading floor. Maybe that's your kind of personality. If you if you're the kind of person who likes that energy, uh, who likes that buzz, who likes the stress of a trading floor, you know, that might be a a certain type of skill um, that you can use to to your own success, or you might be someone who's uh, you know likes it a little bit, dialed down a bit, um, is good with maths, is good with physics, is comfortable wanting to sort of risk manage and build finance models. Okay, and there's a there's a, a role for you uh, in in that as well. Um, you know, again, yeah, you know there is a um, a, a very deep training program for graduates in in most of the investment banks, um, and that's a period of training when you arrive at the banks. Um, but then you know you might then rotate across a couple of desks, um, and they'll continue the training for you, uh, probably um, for a two or three year um, time period. Um, you know, skills, you know, you know, it's, it, it can be long hours, you know, from, you know, someone asked um, Nick about the typical trading day. If you find yourself on a trading floor, okay, you are in at 6.30 in the morning um, and, you know, you'll be doing well to leave before that same number in the evening. And, 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 the, and the trading day, if you're in there on the trading floor, you know, you don't really want to leave. You know, lunch is very quick and it's back to your desk. You're, you're not wanting to miss anything that you can make money out of or you can advise your clients about. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I think you have to be relatively thick-skinned. I think you have to be energetic. Um, uh, and, I, and, and I think you have to be competitive. It's a very competitive type of, of job. For instance, one of the banks every year gets rid of 5% of their employees, okay? And that's just to keep everyone keen and motivated and, and going. And, and you know, people will you know, have different opinions about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But if you're constantly looking around, my God, am I, am I going to be part of this, this 5%? It certainly keeps you on your toes. So, um, 
you know, I would say energy, I would say a desire to learn, um, because there are always new parts of finance that will suddenly be um, the hot thing, you know, ESG investing or uh, Bitcoin. You know, I didn't get taught about, no one taught me about Bitcoin when I was um, <laughs> a, a, a graduate, but you have to have that, um, you know, desire to want to sort of say, okay, it's time I learned about it and, and, and you know, be able to move and to be flexible like that. Sorry, that was a little bit too much of a long answer. And Stephen wants to come in. Yes, thank you, Stephen. If you could continue on that. Yeah, so the, uh, I agree with everything that was just said. The, the only thing I would add to it, though, is, um, you know, whilst, whilst sort of any, you know, pretty good degree, I think, will we'll do, whether it's you could be doing fine art, history, physics, maths, economics, whatever else, I do think you need a degree. Um, I think it's I think it's really hard to get into finance uh, with without one, and I and I say that because actually, when I was in Hong Kong, it must have been seven or eight years ago, um, someone from Radley showed up in my offices, got got introduced to me, and he said, "Look, you know, I I dropped out of university, and this happened, and that happened. And I've been traveling, and I don't have a degree, but I'm a really good guy, and you know, I think I can make a difference." and you know, would 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 a would a firm like TPG ever hire me? And 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 the reality is, uh, I think most of the top financial firms are very competitive. They're very hard to get into um, at, at the top end. And you, I think you need a high quality degree. Doesn't matter what the subject is. You just have to have shown that you have real application, aptitude, and a desire. Um, to learn, and then, and then the other the other comment I would make is that the skill sets you need to be successful in finance, I think they change over time. So I sometimes I quite often see people who are really good analysts and associates who are very fastidious, have great attention to detail, um, and very um, sort of process and execution oriented. Sometimes struggle when they become more senior and become more responsible for, you know, developing business, managing people, developing relationships. Um, so, so I'm just saying that the, the, the skills that make you kind of successful evolve and change through the course of your, um, through the course of your career as well. I, for example, was a horrible, for what it's worth, I was a, I was a horrible analyst. I had very poor attention to detail, um, but, but somehow just squeaked through and, and was a much better, you know, was, was much probably better um, as, as, I, as I became more senior in my, in my career. Thank you, Stephen. We have a question from Jack Chen. Um, I wonder if just one of our experts can answer this. Um, for investment banking and private equity, what is the difference in working hours? Uh, well, I'm 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 happy to try and take that. Um, I, I think that both are very intensive. Um, that they're, they're they're probably similar. Um, yeah, if you're working on a transaction in a private equity firm, uh, you could be working. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, pretty relentlessly. I think in investment banking, similarly, if you're working on a, you know, on a, on a, on a transaction, um, you're at your client's beck and call, you're an advisor, um, your client is paying you a huge amount of money uh, to, to, to be available you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, so, so I think both are very time intensive. I do think within a private equity business, um, you're a principal. So um, the, 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 the transaction, the deal that you're working on is being a little bit more dr driven by, by you. Whereas if you're an investment banker, um, you, know, you, you have a lot of clients that are demanding your time. Um, for what it's worth with what I do, fundraising is a little bit different. The time intensity, my, 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 my hours per day are not necessarily long, you know, super long. You know, I probably work from eight until eight. Um, sometimes I have, you know, calls early in the morning, sometimes I have calls at late at night, but I, I travel at least pre COVID. I mean, I was traveling around the world five days a week. Thank you, Stephen. A uh, question for Will. 
Um, do you think it is uh, best to start your career in a small company or on a graduate scheme in a large company? Thanks, Hilton. Wow. Uh, I think that's almost an impossible question to answer. And maybe where I should start is um, to encourage people to think about the culture of the firm. And we've heard um, Nick talking about you know, bank strategy, which probably involves a, a lot of reading, for example, and and at another extreme, um, we've heard Anthony talking about working on a trading floor in an investment bank. Now, I would argue that the culture, whilst the hours may be long in those two jobs, the culture in that those two different um, avenues of employment will be wildly different. Um, my working day is, is marginally shorter um, I work from roughly eight till six, but uh, rather like Stephen, if um, I'm on a, um, we're in a, in a, in a full on capital raising mode and traveling, you know, it's, it's pretty likely that that day will be endless. Now, the culture in a, in a massive investment bank is by implication going to be extremely different to the culture in a firm like Campion Capital, where we've got 12 staff, we're a privately owned firm. Now, the experience for someone coming through the door at Campion Capital, we don't have a structured um, internship program or a graduate training scheme. That having been said, I would argue that it might be marginally easier to get a job at Campion Capital than it is to get a job on the graduate scheme at Goldman Sachs. You know, Anthony and Stephen will probably know better than me the statistics um, of how many people apply to the Goldman's graduate scheme and how many people are successful but it's super 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 competitive and what I really encourage people to do and, I, and sorry for um, to repeat myself but the avenues are so wide try and find something that that really 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 excites you you want to do something that you will you enjoy and is going to be fun don't necessarily be seduced by the dollar Thank you. Um, a question for Nick. Um, how have you created and used a network uh, in your career? We're often told as Radleyans the value of the Radley network. How have you put it to use? Um, so the, the value of, of my Radley network was in fact where I got my first job from. Um, so I started out, as I said, working as a um, as a university student, um, that was because of a friend of mine's father. Um, I've never been bashful about that. It was that's how I started. But if I hadn't done well from that point, I would never have gone back. So uh, I was employed in that particular role every holiday at university for two years, um, and that's what led to my my job starting. So the Radley Network certainly helped me get going. Um, the network thereafter is kind of split into two for me. The first part of my career was actually spent on the trading floor, as Will was describing. Um, and with the exception of, of the two Wills in Oxford, I don't really keep in touch with or have much contact with much of that part of my city career. Um, the network that's actually been much more helpful to me was, was established after I came back from doing my MBA and moved into working um, in a strategy role and a corporate finance role rather than a trading one. Um, and there it's, it's absolutely impossible to, to sort of quantify the value, except to say it's very, very high. That the opportunities that you can uncover through the people you meet, um, the, you know, the most successful people I know have a little black book in their head of all the people they've met, and they can Rolodex it on what those people do, and therefore they know who to reach out to when they get themselves in a particular situation where they want some expertise. Um, and that is something that you know I've I've used a lot in my career is to ask questions of people that I know have that experience and therefore have been able to help me as I've gone along. Um, but as I said, much more so in in the days of, of strategy work at RBS and and at uh, Virgin Money than than before. I think the, the one thing I would I would say is as, as you're thinking about starting out in your career, you know, it, it sounds like a somewhat unkind thing to say, but everybody is a potential asset to you as you think about starting your career. 
everybody that you meet, all the friends of your parents, all the people that you might meet during any internship process, you know, they are all an asset that you can make something of. Um, and I don't mean that in a totally mercenary way. It's just don't lose them and recognize that you are, in fact, interviewing all the time at your age. So, um, I mean, clearly have some fun, but but also just recognize there are people that will help and can help if you if you show up in the right way. Thank you. Will, would you like to add something? Yeah, I think one of the most important skills um, is to be inquisitive. And, you know, I think Nick has just hit the nail on the head. You know, being inquisitive to me in, in many ways is about asking, you know, ask questions. Do not be shy to ask questions. Um, make sure you understand, you know, what someone does. And if they explain it in too technical a speak, you know, just say, I don't understand that. You know, can you please explain it again, but in more simple terms? Because it's it's hugely important to be inquisitive. And I don't think it, this necessarily relates to finance. I think it's true of, of pretty much any career. It makes you a more interesting, interested person. And particularly when you're coming to the um, interviews, it astounds me. I haven't interviewed that many people in my time, but I'm always astounded when it comes to the end of the interview. Um when it's thrown open to Q&A, quite often how some people just don't have any questions. And that, that what that says to me immediately is they're not interested in the career in which I'm pursuing and is almost a complete score me out. So just be inquisitive. Okay, thank you. We had a, um, a question from Oliver Mallon uh, for Stephen. Um, if you're hoping to join a private equity firm, would a past in M&A uh, be useful slash necessary? And if not, where could one gather relevant and sufficient experience? I think it depends what you want to do within a private equity firm. So, um, you know, there's sort of two, there's really three major roles in a, in a private equity firm. There's investing money, raising money, and creating creating value with with the money that's been invested. So, I think if you want to be an investor and sourcing and underwriting and evaluating companies, then very typically, um, you know, you would have done some time uh, doing M and A or corporate finance work, really having a, a very very detailed and forensic understanding of a company's balance sheet, how to underwrite, you know, cash flows, valuation, etc have all this sort of technical background and experience um, that a that a that a banking like an investment banking role would afford. Um, typically speaking as well, most of the um, yeah most of the sort of junior people that work at TPG have MBAs generally speaking from Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, uh, uh, etc. On the fundraising side, which is what which is what I do, I I didn't do M and A and corporate finance, <clears throat> but at Goldman my role was was fundraising. <laughs> so so I've, I've basically been doing capital raising uh, all my all my life, and I think that um, yeah, the, the capital raising aspect of private equity is probably um, is, is probably uh, un underlooked. Um, I think it's a really fascinating part of. Um, Part part of sort of uh, asset management and and particularly private equity because you get to meet investors from all around the world, all different shapes and sizes. Um, you know, right right now, you know, we're we're, we're working on raising a you know a, a five billion dollar uh, carbon fund that's going to look to invest into companies that are going to help extract carbon from the atmosphere. Um, we're doing that with former Secretary Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson, and and that's fascinating. And I you know I've never done. I've never, you know, I've never done M and A, um, and then on the value creation side, um, I'd say typically speaking, people who are on the value creation sort of front of what we're doing, figuring out ways to grow revenue and reduce costs, bring in new management teams, often have a consulting background, um, or have worked in industry or in uh, or in you know um, uh, you know a, a company like a Microsoft, Amazon, Google, um, GE, and have really op operational uh, experience. So sorry, that's probably a long-winded answer, but 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 hopefully helpful. Thank you, Stephen. Anthony, do you have any do you have any tips uh, for handling the pressure on the trading floor? 
Um, I know again, you know, be make sure your health is good. Stay, in, you know, try and be, you know, try and uh, you know, stay healthy, stay fit. And and again, you know, remember the trading floor is just one role within one bank within one kind of institution. If you're the kind of person who you know, when you're walking onto a hockey pitch or a football pitch, really feels that buzz of the team, then that's the kind of pressure, you know, and it's a cup final or it's, a, you know, you've, you, you know, in, in the last 10 minutes of the game and, it, you know, you're, you're one nil down or something. You know, if that's the kind of pressure that you like and the kind of buzz that you like, then, then, a, then a trading floor is probably a good place for you. Um, I, you know, I get the impression that, it's changed a lot since um, since I was there. You know, as the gender balance of the trading floor has changed, you know, I think it's less of a a raucous, rude, noisy place that potentially it used to be. So, you know, that would suit certain types of individuals more. I think it's now I think it's now easier to be on a trading floor uh, than it was. Um, certainly you know 20 years ago um, as the kind of person who's on there has has, has changed you know there's a much wider um, breadth of person on your on your average trading floor right now um, but again it won't suit everybody okay so if you know if, if you're the kind of person who doesn't like that um, that kind of atmosphere that that team atmosphere and you and you sort of shirk away from that, then, then, then that's fine. So I, you know, don't put yourself on there because you'll be constantly struggling. Um, but if you do like that, I think that's something that you can take as an advantage and, and you know, really make yourself more motivated to walk in every day because you're walking into the trading floor by, you know, there was a question about the trading, you know, your your hours that you spend, you know, you are in yeah six thirty, and it's an interesting there's a beaten flow to the floor because there's times when it's quiet and there's times when it's really, really busy. And sometimes you think, oh God, I just wish it could average out and it'd be nicely sort of, you know, the same level during the day. But, you know, it gets very busy in the morning around eight o'clock. Then there's a lull and then it gets very busy again when the US comes in at about sort of, you know, 1.30, 2.30 time. And then it gets very busy just before the uh, the close where everyone's trying to get their orders in and get their books all sorted out and make sure they've traded the right things and putting, um, you know, any errors that they've traded, trying to solve all of those problems. So, you know, again, if you're, if you're a, more of a, an, an energetic person, you're going to um, take something from that. But if you're, that's not your, the kind of personality that you are, don't push it. You don't have to be on the trading floor. You can be in many other roles. Um, within a bank. Thank you. A, a general question to whoever would like to answer it. Um, what is the best way to determine uh, what part of the broad financial world is most suitable for, for me? I'll have a quick go at that. Back to books. There's an amazing series called the Little Book Series. Just go onto Amazon and it covers pretty much every single avenue of the financial world, I think people could do a hell of a lot worse than, than reading those books. They're very short and they're written by um, specialists in their particular fields. And I, I would just add to that, that I, I, would talk, I would talk to people, you know, you, you would be really surprised how open and willing, um, whether it's the people on this call or just, just sort of people in your ecosystem, your parents, friends, if you actually go and ask, hey, you know, dad, friend, number two, um, what you do sounds really interesting. Could I come and have coffee with you for 30 minutes? I, I would bet that nine times out of 10, you'll get that coffee and a really interesting insight. Thank you. That's a good uh, application of the network. Um, <laughs> And with the final question we'll ask um, to, to all of you, um, what do you love most about your jobs? Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Um, the thing I love most about my job now is its breadth. Um, 
there is kind of nothing um, obviously within the sphere of financial services that isn't relevant to me now. Um, my early career was very focused in one thing, trading equity derivatives. My career now is, it can be anything. Um, and literally every day is completely and utterly different. Um, so it's the breadth of what I do that I enjoy most now. Well, I'll quickly, I'll quickly fire. The, um, through the, the people, some of the people that I get to meet, most of the people that I get to meet, um, whether it be COVID times or not, um, some of the people who've founded asset management businesses, it's just unbelievably inspiring. And, you know, I take that as a, a total luxury of my job. I find it fascinating meeting people. I would I would probably second that you know the, the breadth the people um, is is pretty awesome you know as I said right now you know working with um, former U.S. Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson on building uh, a carbon fund we're also you know doing something in the technology space um, you know I do a lot of work I still do a lot of work in Asia um, so just just the breadth of, of finance and and for me the the, the people as well. Yeah, um, Hilton. Just to finish that one off, I would I would agree with everything that that the guys have said. You know, don't don't forget, um, it is an industry that can also pay you very well. Okay, the 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 rewards are are, are potentially high. The risk, whether that be you know health risks or, or, or whatever, are, are are also you know it, it can be a, a pretty difficult job, but um, you know that if you do well, and and if you make whatever targets that you um, that you have to make in a, in a in a certain period of time, you will get paid. Okay, and and if you feel as if you're not getting paid or rewarded um, sufficiently at the place where you are, you can move and do the same thing at another firm. You can be a trader at a bank, and then suddenly you can start your own hedge fund, and that becomes a very different proposition you then become a little bit more entrepreneurial and you've got the problems of of starting your own firm so so to me uh and again I, it might sound a little bit mercenary right now but if you do well um you know the rewards are there are there for you thank you and I know we said that would be the final question but we've had something in the chat from Seymour Shaw so to any of you the real final question now, is the UK now less of a serious player in finance following Brexit? Gosh, who's going who's gonna to take that one on the chin? Um, so I think the UK's position is, is certainly um, less certain now in terms of financial markets, um, while everyone battles for what's called equivalence. Um, and I think that may have a, a, a sort of long-term detrimental impact on how much business goes through London, particularly as a financial centre. Um, is that going to be the kind of death knell for the UK financial services? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of money, um, and in fact, probably the majority of money invested in Europe will still flow some way through London. But I certainly think it has made us temporarily much less competitive, yes. I don't know what the other guys think about that, but that would be my positioning. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I guess one of the lenses that I look at it uh, through right now is also just from a regulatory lens. Um, so at least in the world of alternatives, that there are some real regulatory um, changes um, that will impact London as, London's competitiveness as a financial center relative to say Frankfurt and Paris. The, the long-term impact uh, of those changes, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they'll be, but but I, I agree. I think it has made London less um, less competitive and it has made made some of the other you know cities around Europe much, much more competitive. I would wholeheartedly agree. We're, we're, as a business, setting up in the process of setting up an office in Madrid, which tells you something. I think it will be relatively short-term and London is certainly not dead. 
But one of the other things I wrote down in terms of if you've got languages, the UK is not renowned for producing people with that are multilingual, but I think it's going to become increasingly important post-Brexit that you will be more appealing, particularly to a big investment bank, for example, um, if, you've got, if you've got languages. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, gentlemen. Anthony, do you want? Sorry, did you want to add yeah, something? Sorry, Caroline, so just to add, I think what Will Will has really um, hit the nail on the head there for me, anyway. And just to add to that, when he's mentioned languages, you know, you know, don't forget, you know, there are the, the other computer languages that you can be um, can be looking at. So again, just to, just to finish off, you know, the people who are on the graduate programs that I see, if they've got a really good Excel knowledge, and I know that Radley have run some. Excel classes and, and Python is a big thing now. If you can do some coding within Python, you really do become, you know, you, you know you're, you're sort of self-sufficient by the time you're even entering the graduate program. So language, but don't, don't, don't just restrict that to the spoken language. Think about different computer languages that you can also um, put in your, you know, your sort of bag of tricks that, that you can offer uh, a bank when it comes to uh, an interview process. Sorry, Caroline. No, that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Anthony, and thank you to all of you. That was absolutely fascinating. Thanks for taking the time out of your days. And thank you to Hilton as well for being such an excellent co-host. You were brilliant. Well done, Hilton. Um, before you go, I'm just going to tell you about the final two talks that we've got lined up for the rest of this week. On Wednesday, we've got OR Theo Broomfield, who is going to talk about what it's like working in the middle of a global pandemic for a charity that invests in economically and socially vulnerable communities. And on Friday, our final talk will focus on the career pathway into property, when OR William Donaldson will tell you about the breadth of interesting roles in the UK and international property market. Don't forget to watch any of the talks that you may have missed on Radley Video. Thank you for attending. We hope to see you on Wednesday. And thank you to all of our panellists and to you, Hilton. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. Check our channels for the latest news and events from the Radley and Society.